This is the Game Changers podcast where your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And predominant educational thought leader, Adriana Prado. Well, the Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of the 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't want or wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are going to be their stories. Well, welcome everyone to uh, our introductory episode. And I'm really excited to be here with you today, Phil, uh, to, to, to talk about our very first provocation. Yeah, it's, uh, me too, Adriana. I'm, 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 I'm thrilled we've got the opportunity to uh, have a wee chat. It's exciting times ahead. And uh, let's get straight into it. We know that the world's changing. And we know that we're, we're being forced to change with it. So our, our real beginning of this podcast is about education. And what's the point of education today? Such a good question, Adriano. Um, I, think, I think it might be possible to reframe that question a little bit and to say what has always been the point yeah. of education? What's always been the purpose of education? Um, Can we talk a little bit about that then? Yeah, so, let's do that. So let's, let's, let's go down the line that education has always served a kind of pragmatic purpose. Yes. Right? It's been a tool that's been used to bring about a specific set of outcomes. Uh, and for most part, that purpose has been economic. But we know that the, the today's environment, education environment, is somewhat mixed. And if we go down the line of, say, the Melbourne Declaration of uh, Educational Goals, its aspiration is that all young Australians become successful learners, confident and creative individuals, and active and informed citizens. Yet, the Australian Department of Education says if we're going to really want to lift outcomes, the government needs to help secure Australia's not only economic prosperity, but of course its social prosperity. I think social prosperity is a really interesting one because it's all good and well coming at it from highfalutin things like the Melbourne Declaration. We know that if we ask 10 to 15 year olds what the most important thing of school is, what the purpose of school is, they'll tell you it's lunch. (laughs) Or recess. Or recess. They'll tell you it's about the social interaction, about forming friendships, about having uh, their sense of belonging enhanced, uh, about mateship, about uh, enjoyment about games, about food, yeah, more yeah. food. Yeah, you know it's so. I think what's important in all of this sort of stuff is that we stay grounded in 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 terms of what what stakeholders need around it. I mean, as, as you and I both know, proximity of a school to wherever parents mm. are working is absolutely critical. Mm. Um, we know in in many schools, decisions about schooling are made by mums, not dads. That shouldn't necessarily be the case. It is the case, however. Yes. When that is the case, we know that the whole notion of convenience is very, very important. So we choose a school and we look at a range of different options, but if the closest one works, then we'll go with that one because... Add up all the hours, add up all the minutes, add, you know, in, in, in a week, in a, in, a, in a year, and suddenly a family works better when we're closer together. So we've got lunch, we've got family, yeah. and we've got national aspirations for the economy and society, all mixing into one, one asphalt 
um, playground with lots of four square courts on it. <laughs> that seems to be one construct. Absolutely. Young, young men and women ru- rushing out to those four squares to build their relationships seems to be the very, very first thing on their mind when they encounter that community. But it's interesting we talk a little bit here around uh, the challenges of, of the social prosperity and all the kind of dynamics that make up that, the, the pressures from, from the home and the, and the accessibility, uh, the need to fit in, to fit sense of belonging and so on. And I think, I think it's really interesting in a world that's going through this huge change, huge change and a constant evolution, particularly around uh, technology and the pervasive nature of it. And that has an impact on how we socialise as well. Of course it does. Yeah. So if we talk a little bit about that kind of, you know, fourth industrial revolution, bringing together digital, the physical and the biological kind of systems, uh, it's, it's happening like in no other time in our history. Of now, course. you're a history buff. You, you understand this probably better than, than most. Oh, well, look, I, I, I'm not sure if I necessarily understand it better, but I'll, I'll certainly talk a lot about it. Sure. I think um, one of the things that I think is interesting around what I see in schools now to what I saw when I started working in schools as a fresh-faced 19-year-old back in the late 1980s, is that we actually ask questions like this now mm. about the purpose and philosophy of education. Back then, people were less motivated around such um, such important things. Mm. And instead, though, I think people on the whole were much more prepared to think of education as a service, a place that you drop the kids off at, as long as certain things were done reasonably well and there were some good outcomes at the end and they made some mates for life and yeah. didn't get in too much trouble. I think people were a whole lot less fussy. I think the sort of great notion of the mid-20th century average mm-hmm. was very was important for people. Um, we live in an era now where I think people expect exceptional outcomes from their children, mm-hmm. even when... Well, I, I know my children well, and, and, you know, they're exceptional in some ways. They're pretty ordinary in other ways. Sure. So the notion that, that would all outcomes for them would be exceptional, it's, it's just silly. So, But we've got an era of increased demand yes. for the attainment of unrealistic outcomes. We've got um, people staying on at school later and later and later. So we've got school itself has to fit the needs of more and more people. We've got government community groups um, uh, and and society at large telling us that education is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, we've got an education system that actually has to think now about what is its purpose, where is it going, and is it doing a good job? So if we explore this a little bit further, Phil, and we you're talking a little bit about the age of average is over. Absolutely. And so, so then if we link that to what we touched upon a moment ago around technologies, how then is the rise of things like artificial intelligence, automation, robotics going to continue to impact on the age of average being gone and continue to to impact on people's expectations of what learning and even schooling should look like going forward? Sure thing, sure thing. Um, I think probably, probably two sides to that. The first is that everything that we see in the work that we're doing in schools around the world right now, um, uh, suggests that people want schooling to be personalised. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they want a sense of the individuality mm-hmm. of a human being who is 
who is on a journey from being a little person to a bigger person to an even bigger person to a person who might be ready to thrive in the world. And we already have an example of that. I mean, yeah. most people have smartphones, but no two smartphones are the same. No, exactly. They're highly personalized. Absolutely. They Absolutely. all do the same things, but I can customize it to my, my specific individual needs. Absolutely. And, and increasingly as a result, we've got um, all sorts of stakeholders in education mm-hmm. expecting that what used to be a one-size-fits-all kind of thing, that people did more or less pretty much the same everywhere they went. S- suddenly, without any change of resource base whatsoever, we're now expecting it to suit the needs of individuals. So I think that's the, that's the first thing I see. The second thing I see is that we still expect some notion of alignment with a greater uh, framework of mm-hmm. values or standards or competencies mm-hmm. in and around that we expect uh, citizens mm-hmm. to be able to perform. So, so we've got the personal versus the aligned. Yeah. And then, of course, we have to have integration of systems and structures mm-hmm. so that everything just works beautifully and seamlessly, even though life isn't necessarily beautiful and seamless. So I like this. I like this thinking. I like this thinking around uh, a move to a more individual kind of construct of learning. The other element you spoke about, I suppose, there is around a connectivity to something greater than us, or or, or our community, uh, or our place, or something else. What about then? the two of them coming together in that kind of last point you were just raising about a collaboration where, where technology values the partnership as much as the human values the partnership because technology can't actually work or function in the absence of us. Oh, absolutely it can't. And I, I think I, I, I like that as a notion. Um, I think that we're just beginning to enter uh, a time where technolo- technology can actually transcend simple transactional relationship yeah so it can genuinely transform what it is that's happening if you look at the world of healthcare, for example yeah we know that um mental health care for most adult males is can be significantly transformed by online applications that walk people through all sorts of mental health stuff yeah and that they'll do that because they won't do what we're doing right now and that is looking each other face to face and having a conversation yeah so we know that there are particular contexts that can happen we know that with AI and blockchain and all sorts of smart things that are happening out there um, that we, we could actually do something really interesting. And yet at the same time, I'm seeing a bit of a worry around the world, a bit mm-hmm. of a, a bit of a, almost, it's not quite a technophobia, but it's a, it's a, it's a concern, um, almost a neo-Ludditeism, a concern that somehow technology is replacing the human as opposed to enhancing the human. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think I think for any technology to fly, particularly in something as intimate and as important as education, which is all built on relationship and social construct, that whatever technology is there has to enhance the human rather than replace it. Yeah, I really love how this where this conversation is going because you know my personal belief is that although we have this pervasive nature of technology in every element of our lives today, it's unavoidable, and anyone that tries to avoid it is kidding themselves. They got their head in the sand type of stuff. But the reality is everything we just discussed there from the individual to the connectivity notion to the collaboration uh, notion is, is at the heart of basic human needs. It's about wanting to be known. It's about wanting to be valued. And, it's, and this greater sense of belonging. And, that, and that's where I feel, although there is a rise of the machines, 
my belief is that we're in the age of the human. And we're at a time where the soft skills, the creative skills, the research skills, the ability to find information, synthesize it, make meaning from it, all of those are inherently kind of human qualities. And the more and more that we resist the rise of the machines, the more we might diminish our capacity to realize the great value that we can bring as humans to the conversation on a more frequent basis. Yeah, I, love, I love that notion of the age of the human. I want to take, if I can, that, uh, that idea of belonging, and I want to build on that with two other key concepts. Um, when we belong, we can then perform. Yeah. And performance is so important. There's an inherent potential in every human being. Human beings are built to do stuff and to do stuff well. It's really, really important. But then there's a third concept that sits with belonging and performance, and that is the, do the doing of what is good and right. I think human beings are also built to try, at the very least, mm -hmm. to be good people. Now, we know whether you come from a faith basis or, or, mm. or you come from a secular basis, doesn't really matter. We know that all human beings are essentially broken, that nobody's capable of perfection. Everybody makes mistakes and that there's inconsistencies in, a, in and around there. But well, that's what makes us inherently human. Of course it does. Of course it does. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's Leonard Cohen who, who, who said that, you know, that the brokenness in it, in us allows the light in. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, it, it gives us complementarity. It allows us to collaborate. It allows us to, um, rather than reject our imperfections <laughs> and strive to be inhumane in perfection, it allows us instead to develop, um, I, I guess it's that African concept, you know, the, the Ubuntu, Ubuntu, yeah, yeah. The Ubuntu thing, which yeah. um, Henry Masoma yeah. talks about um, uh, uh, quite a lot about, you know, which is I, I am because you are. Yeah. You know, I, I can't exist unless you're there helping me along the way. And, and, it, and it brings us back to those ties of kinship and of community and so on. So you, you get belonging and on top of belonging, you get performance. And on top of performance, you get the doing of what is good and right. You wrap it all up in this sort of messy, chaotic, imperfect, and yet beautifully human system of relationship, and suddenly you've got a school. So what I'm hearing you say is that in many ways, the responsibility of leaders in schools is to ensure that they create the construct of a psychologically safe environment where people can take the risks with their learning, take the risks with, with the doing, and be okay in moments of failure because we are inherently imperfect. And that when we, when we do fall over and when we are challenged in those particular spaces, we are in an environment that is going to catch us because we have a great sense of belonging. We've, we've developed the, the inherent trust that we need with, with the people who are guiding us along that journey. I, I just wonder how many schools, though, are fixated on that psychology of the learning, the kind of self-determination theory that we're really talking mm. about here, the autonomy, you know, mm. the competence and then the character mm. elements of the relatedness. Yeah. I wonder how many schools are really fixated on that being central to the way in which they encounter and engage young people on a daily basis, or are they wedded to, to the dreaded league table, to the standardised test, the system? Are they wedded to that system and clouded by all of that and thinking, well, it's an albatross around our neck, but it's our reality and we can't give any oxygen or time to anything other than that. 
So in other words, do they enjoy wearing the Emperor's new clothes or are they, are they, are, are they looking for something which is real and are they looking for which is something authentic? I, I, to be honest around this, I, there, I, there are a lot of colleagues who I've come across in the world who would love the freedom to um, partake of the, the pedagogy, the teaching and learning of, of failure and, yeah. to, and, and, and to work through all sorts of things. The reality is that they will talk to you about the unbearable pressure of expectation uh, uh, of, of cultures in which no one is allowed to make a mistake, of cultures in which um, there is harsh judgment and and swift and swift judgment and punitive tone which is imposed for well-intentioned error and as a result i think what we end up with is we end up with schools and we end up with teachers who are systemically incapable of demonstrating the competencies that we expect of kids so if we want kids to be bold adventurous take risks um, show courage. Yeah. Well, then we as adults have got to do the same thing. Yeah. Well, we're going to model it. And so, you know, what I'm hearing here today is really education is fundamentally in about relevance. You know, what's it going to be relevant to, to the lives of these young people? And if education remains, if education is to remain relevant today, and if, it's, if there's going to continue to be a point of education today, then the reality is the future of education and schooling must evolve. These things that are, that are hamstrunging the, the leaders in these schools, who, as well-intentioned as they are, they are still defaulting to what they know, the comfort, the safety, the compliance, and the risk aversion. How are we going to break that cycle? What is it that we're going to be doing differently? And my belief is that we need a new renaissance in education. Tell me what that relate, well, relationship looks like, Andrea. Fascinated. It'll be a long conversation, I think. But uh, generally, I think it's about us restructuring our relationships to learning and life. We have to reimagine what our expectation of those things are, and that is a quantum leap. That is a, that is that is a, taking us from from the comfort of what we know to the space of of maybe even deep fear. But it's definitely brave and it's definitely courageous. We now need to start thinking about our relationship with the planet. We have to start reimagining our relationship with the world of work. And those type of constructs are going to lead to a kind of a new learning ecosystem where every human on the planet is able to thrive in an era of constant uncertainty. Because that's what we're living in. We're living in a time of constant uncertainty. We talk about the swiftness of change, not only in education, but in every facet of our lives, things are moving so rapidly. So... It is a mindset shift that we have to be courageous enough now to adopt around our relationships and our expectations and reimagining that totally. So if we're going to do that, we need also to be thinking about the conditions under which mindsets do shift Yeah, in and around that. So we need to think not only what is the trajectory that we want, but what are the conditions that we can create along the way that are going to help people to do that? Because as I see again and again and again in school after school after school, the type of person who is prepared to spend their life in a room or another space with children, which is not something that most normal adults would do. Yeah, sure. That type of person is a kind person, is a, is a relational person, is a warm person, can also be quite a fragile person. And when we place them 
under unrealistic expectations when we put them in in situations of conflict that in other parts of our society would seem normal those kind gentle people will shrink away from that and they will revert to what is known rather than step into what is unknown um, they, they will respond with fear and trepidation to the sort of thing that uh, in other parts of the world seem perfectly normal and reasonable mm -hmm. so you will hear teachers talking about parents yeah and and sharing their war stories around that what they're really telling you about is of a type of discourse which is anathema to them they want something which is gentle which is all embracing they want something which is incremental they want something which is validating along the world uh, along the way, I know I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying and yeah, sure. overgeneralizing here, but but we know that there's that for the majority of our colleagues, the world in which they want to live is not necessarily the world that they're being presented with right now, and there's a dissonance between the two. So how do we help our colleagues to to obtain the competencies and to obtain the character that they need? So if school, it's it's you know if. I mean, you know, you know me, Adriana. That, that that for me, school is all about the character and competency of of, of students, mm -hmm. and it's the character and competency. It's the way of living mm -hmm. in the world, um, in response to belonging and performance and doing what is good and right. That's what's going to help our students to thrive. Yeah. In a parallel space, we have to be five steps ahead with the adults who are supporting those students. If we don't do that, we're going to end up with the situation that we've got at the moment in many schools, mm. which is that we've got well-intentioned people putting their all into an education. It's not changing greatly, yeah. and yet they're feeling more and more and more pressure. They're feeling more and more and more stress, which is less likely to make them take the risks and do the failure and blah, blah. It just goes round and round and round. I kind of challenge, though, the notion that you touched upon earlier that when, when you started in this profession... Um, you asked the question about what the, the purpose of education is. But I, I'm challenging that because I'm just not sure whether educators, your, your front-of-the-line teacher, is actually having that conversation on a frequent and regular basis with their colleagues and, more importantly, with themselves. Because, you know, the relationship at the moment that they have is with the compliance. The relationship they have with is a prescribed curriculum. The relationship they have is with with the pressure of uh, meeting the standardised tests and improving those standardised tests. Um, and so that's why I don't know if they are giving the oxygen that's needed to the real robust conversations about a values conversation, because that's what we're really having here. A values conversation around capabilities and character. And although it's, it's taught in schools, and, and, and I, but, but I believe it's implied more than it's done explicitly. It has to be done explicitly. It has, it has to, to be, be done, done explicitly. explicitly. And I mean, the reality is that if we're going to have this education renaissance, um, we have to, as I said earlier, move to those kind of human skills. And the Australian curriculum, for instance, it's this is not a new concept for the Australian curriculum. No. I mean, the reality is the Australian curriculum for 10 years now have had seven general capabilities. But I don't know but, but what... But nobody, nobody, no, 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 what to do with them. So they just... Got, so well, because you know what? They don't know how to assess it. Of course not. Of course not. So it's too abstract for them. And yet, yet there are learning areas, particularly within the arts, that are probably been showcasing critical thinking, understanding, intercultural understanding, personal and social capability 
for ad nauseum. And and that's going to be a really good conversation for us another time about that about, about how we go in it. I think your I think your point about practicalities is really uh, important. Um, uh, there's a practical reality. It's the Daniel Kahneman thing. Mm-hmm. You know what you see is all there is. If you spend your day in a space worrying about the children in front of you and their world and what's going on, and that's all you're doing, it's hard for you to extract yourself and to do this sort of thinking that I guess that we're doing now. Uh, I, get, I get to do this because I don't get to teach in a classroom anymore. So I get lots of time yeah. to sort of stop and think about these things. If you're going to solve this problem in a school and introduce this kind of purposeful discourse and exchange of ideas and validation, a thing that we would call warranting of practice, that then I think you have to solve the problem of time in school. How do you create a space where teachers can, will, and want to engage in this type of conversation? Because I tell you what, from what I've seen around and about the place, 3.30 after six and a half, seven hours of teaching kids... They're out of there. They're out of there. They're, they're, and, and if you hold them back, they're not, they're, they're not thinking about it at that point in time. Resentment builds in. That's it. 7.30 in the morning, they're too busy dropping their kids off and, 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 and preparing for the lesson for the day ahead. You know, so it's so Phil is the system broken then? Oh, well and truly broken. We've no, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I think at the end of the day, if you, if you look at the timetables we have, if you look at the structure of the day you have, if you look at the structure of budgets in schools that we have, we keep adding stuff in, add, yeah. add, add, yeah. add, add, and at no point do we turn around and say, do you know what? If we're going to make this work, we have to do something different. We have to organise our time differently. We have to organise our budgets differently. We have to stop what we're currently doing. You know, we need to reinvent the actual mechanics of what it is that we're doing on yeah. a practical basis. Otherwise, this, otherwise this, we'll still be talking in 30 years. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I think we're at a point where the time's at a pressure point. It, we, we've filled the vessel so much that it's overflowing. All well intended, with great ideas, but it's about a reset now. It's about saying, okay, what is it that we really value? What is it that young people are going to need to thrive in this whole new world environment? And all the experts are saying, uh, and all the professionals are saying, with the rise of the machines, this move towards our humanness and understanding those inherent qualities, I think we would both agree that foundational literacies like literacy and numeracy are sacrosanct. We need to make sure that every young person in schools uh, have a proficiency in those areas to give them the psychological safety then to take the risks with their learning. That's got to be the foundation of really good learning. But I really believe we've got to add new literacies to those foundations. We've got to add science thinking to that equation. We've got to add digital literacy to that equation. We've got to add financial literacy to that equation. And above all, we've got to add enterprise thinking to, to that particular equation. If they become the construct of our foundational literacies within most school settings and young people have a solid and beyond solid to proficient and highly competent understanding of those constructs, I'm really confident that we can then move into the stuff that matters. And the stuff that matters for me are around the capability skills. How are we going to cultivate the communication skills? How are we going to cultivate the creativity and collaboration? How are we going to cultivate their problem solving? Because that's kind of the thinking modes they're going to help them, irrespective of what profession they're in, are transferable across the board. And then it's littered with the one thing that brings it all together, and that's their character attributes. How are we going to help young people in schools today to attend to their physical and social wellness? 
How are we going to help them become great advocates for change and agents? How are we going to help them develop this emotional intelligence? How are we going to help them develop not only their, their resilience, but their optimism and their grit to thrive going forward? So game changers then are people who can bring about all of those sorts of things. And they're not just people who talk the talk. They walk it as well too. They come up with solutions. So a game changer is a person who can help a school community to reconstruct its notion of how it spends a day and how it spends a week and how it spends a year to get done the things that are really important, which is actually a conversation about priority yeah. more than anything else and, and, and help that resolve. But you and I have been very fortunate you know, in, in our careers, and probably you so more than I, that we've been able to travel. And in our travel, we've been able to encounter different educational systems and constructs which have a different emphasis. We've been able to encounter different schooling systems and we're starting to see some evolution. We're also starting to see some of the same thing that we saw 50 years ago, you exactly. know, 30 years ago, or when we first started in education yeah. and nothing has changed. And so Game Changers is now an opportunity to really highlight these pioneers, the, these individuals that, that are shaping a new tomorrow. And actually, and actually making it work. Yeah. You know, because it's, I get, I get worried about the, the notion of mediocrity being confused for excellence. Yeah. Doing an okay job, it's, it's not excellence. Yeah. You know, ex- excellence shines a path for us. If we, we talked about brokenness earlier and letting the light shine in, who are the lights? Who, 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 who are the lights on the hill yeah. that we can see ahead and go, that's a way to address that issue about capability. That's a way to address that issue about how we unwind traditional disciplines and recreate a, a whole concept of, of, of a new set of foundational literacies. You know, people, people have been trying to do that my entire career, three decades. Yeah, yeah. They've been trying to, they've been watching people try to do that and well-intentioned school teachers looking around and scuttling back to their classrooms and we're still getting kids to copy out coastal landforms and do long division and 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 memorize dates and facts for history and all the sort of stuff that we should be beyond by now. Yeah. So if we're going to talk about the age of, of, of the human, then we need to understand that not only is it the age of the human and, and the best of the human, but that all of these problems that we're identifying here, they're all human problems. That, that averseness to change that we're looking at at the moment, that's a very normal, natural and human thing to do. And many of these people that we're going to be exploring across this particular podcast, you know, they're, they're people that realise that this, this education shift that must occur, that, that has less of a focus on just the academic development, but more on the human possibility. Absolutely. And through the human possibility, all aspects of human possibility can get addressed more successfully. Yeah. And, 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 and that sometimes the answer for this is going to be doing less of things than more of things. Because I agree. the more of things, that's not working. Well, the reality is that uh, you know, emotional competence is going to be the new knowledge base. Already is. That's right. Already is. You know, if you're out there in the workplace today, nobody cares about what marks you got in the VCE or the ATAR or O-levels or Cambridge or whatever. Well, they're irrelevant. Well, of course they are. It's, 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 the the it's, day after you receive your statement of your results, they become irrelevant. That's it. It's about who you are and what you can do with the circumstances you've got. At the end of the day, the person who thrives is the person who keeps going. You know, you know uh, 
one of the great privileges of my 25 year career in education so far is that I get to encounter remarkable young people. And I've worked in co-ed environments, I've worked in single-sex girls' environments and single-sex boys' environments. And one of the things that, that I find that has been quite remarkable is that every time I have a, a, a ducks get up there and, yep. and give his speech, yep. uh, he speaks about what brought him to that point of his academic success. Yes. And the common thread has been the humanness of his encounters with people and place and the environment that he's in. He talked and I could, talk, talk of the environment we've got we've got the rain and the we, thunder, we've got the rain down, and thunder and, coming and the thunder, in. Thunder coming this down is this is an authentic experience Absolutely. that we're, we're sharing with you Absolutely. here. But you know that before we do wrap it up, what I want to share with you is that is, is the remarkable element of that is that the young people in our community they get it. They understand the value of schooling. And yes, they are aspirational. And yes, they want to do well academically. And yes, scores have a place in education of, of, to demonstrate growth and achievement. But the one thing that I notice that helps these young people flourish the most is the strength of the relationships. Of course. The, the active participation in things that push them outside of their comfort zone where they get to discover so much about their inherent possibility. And so I suppose moving forward, we're going to be looking for individuals who, who are teaching the curriculum of the future, no longer teaching the curriculum of the past. And we're going to be looking for schools that, that teach students not only how to learn and unlearn and relearn and not just what to learn. And that's going to be our challenge going forward. And these conversations are going to be really interesting when we share them with our audience. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I'm really looking forward to learning more from a whole bunch of people all around the place who can show us what it really means to be a game changer. Watch this space. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school, produced by Samuel Wiseman for Orbital Productions, Telly Friends, and Don't Forget.